How many people in your church do you think are single? What percentage do you think it would be? I was surprised to discover recently that on average in Australian churches, one out of every three people in our congregations are single. About half of those are people who've never married, and the other half are widows or widowers or people who've been divorced. But one out of every three people in our congregations are single. What's it like to be a single person and be part of a Christian community and to be a Christian? And how can churches better minister to the circumstances, to the unique challenges that single people face? That's our topic on today's episode of the Centre for Christian Living podcast. Hello, I'm Tony Payne, and welcome to episode 19 of the Centre for Christian Living podcast, coming to you from Moore College in Sydney, Australia. Our goal in this episode, as in every one, is to bring biblical ethics to the challenges of the everyday issues that we face as Christians in this world. And of course, this podcast is not the only way we do that. At the Centre for Christian Living, we also run public events, and it was great to see so many of you at our recent public event with Philip Jensen on Spirit-Inspired Christian Living. Uh, Philip was in fine form, and uh, the evening was packed with information and challenge and insight into what the Bible says about who the Holy Spirit is and what his role is in our lives as Christians. Uh, if you want to catch up with um, the challenging and stimulating content that was covered on that evening, both the video and audio of that night are now available on our website. That's at CCL more.edu.au. Go over there and you can download and listen to or watch that uh, to your heart's content. Our next event too is, is not all that far away. On October the 24th, Paul Williamson will be speaking on what happens after this life and on how that shapes the way we approach our lives now. Uh, the title of the evening is A Hell of a Difference, Christians and the Afterlife. Paul has put a lot of thought into this. He delivered the annual Moore College lectures on this subject a couple of years ago. Uh, and it will be great to hear him bring that scholarship and that knowledge to the challenge of what it means to live now as a Christian in view of the fact that we face a destiny beyond this life. Uh, please do come along to that. It's on October the 24th. And again, you can find all the details on our website. That's ccl.more.edu.au. But to our topic today, which is the joys and challenges of singleness, and to our guest. Uh, hi, my name's Danny Trewick. Uh, I'm currently a PhD student studying through St Mark's Theological Centre in Canberra, uh, though I'm based here in Sydney, don't live in Canberra. Um, uh, I worked for almost seven years as a women's minister at a church here in Sydney. Um, uh, before that, I studied at Moore College. Um, and my PhD research uh, that I'm involved in at the moment is looking at uh, a theological ethic of singleness uh, in the Christian life and thought. So, Danny, you're researching at quite some depth into what singleness means or what it means for the Christian life and Christian experience. Why? Why are you doing? Why are you spending so many years delving into this topic? It's a question I ask myself quite frequently, actually, I must admit. <laughs> um, I have very distinct memories of thinking while I was studying uh, at Moore College, oh, I would never do a PhD, uh, and here I am. Um, so it's somewhat unexpected, but... Uh, it's come about because I have a real passion for thinking about this topic as a single woman and wanting to be able to make a contribution to the broader Christian thought um, on singleness. Uh, and it seemed that if I wanted to have a valuable contribution to make, I really needed to do the hard yards uh, in order to do that. Um, and 
God apparently had decided the plan was that I would be doing a PhD on singleness. You know, it was never my lifelong dream to become the expert on singleness. But um, but yeah, that's what I've been doing for the last three years, really. We'll talk a little bit more soon about exactly what you've found, what you've been researching, what the fruits of the research have been so far. Uh, first, though, in terms of you having a real interest and a real passion for this subject, why do you think that's happened in your own life? I mean, you're a single woman, but... What has led you to be particularly interested and concerned that this is a topic that needs digging into? Hmm. I mean, firstly, it is for me personally. Um, I am a single woman myself. Um, I've never been married. And as far back as sort of my early 20s, I guess, I remember being interested in thinking about singleness uh, because that's where I was at with my life. And um, as friends around me got married and I didn't, I really recognised I I need to do some thinking about what that means um, rather than Mm -hmm. just... uh, sitting with it and not being intentional in the way I think about that. And so there's been a personal element of that for me all the way through. Um, But I think uh, particularly my years in parish ministry, uh, spending a lot of time with women, women who themselves had never been married, women who were widowed, women who were divorced. Um, And, of course, I had uh, relationships with men at church who were in those circumstances, but most of my time was spent with women. Uh, just recognising that this is something that we, big picture we Christians, uh, evangelical Christians, haven't served um, our church as well, I think, not just the single people but also those who are married, uh, by not having a great understanding of what the Bible actually says about singleness and what that therefore means in practice in the Christian life. Um, And I think another... uh, more recent development, um, at least in my thinking about the urgency of this, is the conversations we're having about same-sex attraction um, and broader sexuality, uh, recognising that as we call people who are same-sex attracted uh, to live a life of godly celibacy, uh, we actually don't have any realistic expectations that that is a viable life option in the way that we tend to think about singleness. Um, so even though that's not my experience myself, I do have a pastoral concern for people who um, are seeking to live a godly life of celibacy because they're same-sex attracted, um, but are finding that really hard because they don't know what that means. Sure, that's complicated, isn't it? Mm. So in your experience, not only as a single woman yourself, but in ministering to lots of different kind of single people, married, uh, divorced, widowed, men, women, Mm. what are some of the real pressure points for Christian single people? What are some of the real struggles that they've had that you've had personally Mm. or that you've seen in ministry as you you minister to people? Mm. Uh, I think some of those are common across the different circumstances of singleness. Um, Some of them are very different depending on whether you're never been married or you're divorced um, or you're widowed. You know, my only personal experience is never married. So um, I can't speak personally for the other um, and as a woman as well. So, again, that's different to a lot of the male experience of singleness. Um, I think generally things like not feeling an authentic sense of belonging within their church communities and families is um, one that is common to a lot of single people, uh, single Christians, possibly with the exception of widows and widowers um, or to a lesser degree, I think. Um, and that's that's reflected in the statistics, actually, in our churches where we have 
more widowers and widows in our church congregations, um, particularly looking at Anglican churches, but generally in Christian churches in Australia, we have more widows and widowers in our churches than are in the broader population. But we have almost 50% less never married and divorcees um, and significantly more married people in our churches and in our congregations. So there's a real disconnect there um, between the demographics and the makeup of our churches and the broader uh, population around us. Um, Having said that, about a third of the people in our congregations are not married. Uh, And that, I think, is quite surprising because certainly when I think about it, I tend to put it much lower. And I think that's because we just don't do a very good job of recognising how many single people are actually in our churches. So there's quite a high percentage of people in our congregations who are single Mm. for whatever reason. And you're saying that for many of them, one of the chief issues is just a sense of belonging, of belonging to anyone or belonging, having those rich relationships of belonging. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that churches need to look at more intensively and yeah, more intentionally I think so. Is and and not just a not just a sense of belonging but an authentic sense of belonging uh, I read a, a really interesting article a couple of years ago now which had some really great tips about how to help single people feel like they belong in their church congregations um, and it had some really great practical advice but when you read between the lines what the author was suggesting was that Churches need to carve out a sort of synthetic or an artificial place of belonging for single people. They need to make single people feel welcome. Uh, Whereas I think theologically we want to say that church is home just as much for the single person as the married person. And we need to move away from this thinking about creating a place of belonging, but actually recognising that they already belong. And we are maybe not doing such a good job of actually demonstrating that uh, in the way that we we function as church communities. We'll come back later in the conversation to talk about what that looks like in practice, how churches could do more Mm -hmm. um, to build the kind of community you're talking about. But whenever we're talking about practice and what we should do, we want to have it driven by theology and by good thinking and by a good understanding of the issue and, and of all of it. Mm-hmm. So let's dig into what you've been discovering in that mm-hmm. area, into your PhD research. Mm-hmm. Let me start by asking, you're obviously not the first person to think about this question. No. As you survey the landscape of thinking about singleness and Christianity, what did you find? What are the standard approaches to this question in the Christian world more generally? Well, the first thing I, I think I found is, well, two things, that pretty much every pun on the word single has been used in a Christian book title already. So I'm, I'm stretching myself to try and find one that actually hasn't been used. And there's lots of really bad books out there um, about Christian singleness with lots of really dodgy covers as well, actually. Um, so I, I have surveyed pretty much all the literature I can get my hands on, not just books, but also listening to podcasts, sermons, uh, articles, all sorts of things. Um, and that was a really helpful process for me, spending almost a year really just surveying the literature, distilling it down and working out what themes were coming through to really diagnose where we're at as an evangelical Christian culture in thinking about singleness. Uh, and uh, one, one thing that I hadn't anticipated was that as I started thinking about singleness, I had to spend a lot of time thinking about marriage uh, because you can't really separate the two of them uh, in terms of uh, the way that we as a Christian culture uh, tend to think about singleness. Um, it's 
the way we think about singleness is very, very highly informed and developed because of the way we think about marriage. Now, that's an, there's a natural uh, connection there, uh, but what really uh, became clear to me was that our theology of singleness was being driven by a particular theology and pastoral application of marriage. And a couple of the big themes that came out for me were, were concerning the, the identity of single Christians and the purpose of the single Christian life. Um, in terms of the purpose of the single Christian life, almost all of the literature frames singleness in a very uh, instrumental uh, way. So singleness is only good insofar as it allows you to get involved in gospel ministry. Be or, more devoted to the Lord, That's right, that's right, which is all true. I mean, mm. 1 Corinthians 7 has some really important things to say about that. Mm. Uh, but we tend to scaffold the whole discussion about the goodness of singleness around uh, the utilitarian uh, kind of framework of singleness. But that's very different to the way we think about marriage. We look at marriage as Christians and say there's something inherently, intrinsically deeply good and purposeful and relevant about the institution of marriage itself. Uh, we don't have that for singleness. The, the single Christian life is only good insofar as the single Christian lives the good single Christian life. Um, and I think that's really, that's problematic uh, because the Bible has some really interesting things to say about uh, an intrinsic purpose and value to singleness itself. Uh, so that's really where my research is driving. Um, in terms of the identity of single people, I was really sad when I sort of pulled all the patterns together and found out where we were at um, on that. Uh, one of the key, uh, one of the first things that I came really across was the way we tend to frame singleness as a deficit identity. And by that I mean we talk about it uh, or we define it really as a state of lacking. You're single means you're not married or you're unmarried. Uh, if you're single, you're not a wife, you're not a husband. Um, we don't think about it in the other way. Married people are never called unsingle or not single. Um, they're never defined by the fact that they left their singleness behind. Uh, and so I find it really disappointing that the way we, and not just Christians, but generally I think just the way the language we use um, in the broader community defines singleness as by what it's not. It's not marriage. Um, and I think that sets the tone for the discussion. But what does that do for a single person? Not only, I mean, I'll get you to talk in a minute about whether that's a good way to think about it biblically, but what does that do for you as a single person? Yeah, it makes it really hard uh, to be content as a single person, I think. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to uh, be really proactive in uh, embarking on this research was not uh, becoming myself or being seen to be down on marriage. Marriage is a wonderful gift from God. You know, it's a gift that I still hope that he will give me someday. Um, it hasn't been his plan for me to date, and I, I haven't ever wanted uh, to raise or elevate the, the goodness of singleness by denigrating the goodness of marriage. Uh, marriage is, is a great gift from God. And I think uh, there is a sense in which there's a rightness to aspire to marriage um, as we look back to creation. Uh, I don't think we ever want to say, well, marriage is, you know, is no longer relevant or is decreasing in relevancy um, as Christians. But we have, unfortunately, and really it's only been in the last 50, 60 years, with about 100 years before that leading up to this, I suspect, uh, we have actually turned marriage from a good gift that God gives his people, uh, and not just people individually, but his church uh, as a 
body corporate, um, we've turned it from a good gift to the goal of the Christian life uh, for many of us. We're no longer do we are we called to simply um, esteem and honour marriage, which is what Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews writes, uh, but we almost have this unwritten rule that Christians are all meant to pursue marriage. Um, and what that means is that for most of us who have never been married, uh, the single state is just uh, depicted as a state of waiting. Um, it's the transition, it's a prep- preparation to real life beginning when you're married. And that's it's provisional. You're on your pea plates. You are. You're on your pea plates. And if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s on your pea plates, uh, there's sometimes even a sense in which you're considered to be a bit of an irresponsible Christian. You haven't really grown up. You haven't really matured. In fact, one of my favourite ironic quotes uh, that I came across in my research was from um, an author called Gary Thomas who says that the best way to become more like Jesus is to get married, that he couldn't imagine any better way to becoming more like Jesus than getting married. And I just think the irony of that is supreme. Um, but At all sorts of levels. That's right. But there, there is, that is very much the thinking that marriage and parenting are the primary arenas in which we are sanctified and we grow to be more like Jesus. And singleness is a delay of that. Uh, and it, it doesn't really allow you to fully grow in the way that you ought to be growing as a Christian. So if these are some of the approaches that you've sadly found too widespread, uh, that is seeing singleness as, as purely instrumental, mm. you might pursue it on, on a utilitarian basis for what can be achieved through it, mm. or that it's some form of deficit identity, that a waiting period until you achieve true Christian life. Yes. <laughs> um, how have you approached it then? And as you've dug into the subject, how's your approach been different? My approach, um, in terms of uh, my postgraduate research, uh, from the very outset I knew that I wanted to uh, head in a particular direction, which was thinking about singleness theologically but from a perspective of eternity. So um, as uh, those who understand that there is a trajectory in Scripture from creation to new creation with Christ right at the centre of that, how does thinking about new creation help us to understand uh, the value and purpose of the single life as Christians now? So in the same way that we would uh, we say about marriage, well, marriage is a picture of the um, the heavenly relationship between Christ and his church. And as we look at people's marriages now, they ought to be foreshadowing that and, and pointing us towards that in eternity. Uh, my question is really, how can the life of single Christians do the same? How can, how can the single Christian life have purpose and value in pointing all of us as Christians towards uh, the eternity that awaits us? as uh, people who, Jesus says, will not be married to each other for eternity. Um, My wife wonders whether we'd still be allowed to hold hands. I, well, yes. I mean, we'll wait and see, I guess. <laughs> uh, I certainly think that, um, I don't think it, you know, it's a reset of all relationships or anything like that. But uh, I sus- you know, my understanding is that we will have such perfected relationships with each other that um, the marriage relationship that we shared on earth will, will look in some sense poultry to, you know, the intimacy that we will all share uh, in heaven for all eternity as we gather around the throne together. So so you're wanting to think of singleness by starting with the picture of the new creation mm. and what that does to our vision of, of all of life now mm. and draw that especially back into what it means for singles, singleness. What sort of things have you been finding then? How, how does our vision of the future 
shape a, vi- a more positive vision of singleness now? Yeah. Or is um, it too early to say? I know uh, you haven't finished I'm, your PhD. I'm, I'm finished. <laughs> I'm, I've spent most of the time sort of getting to the point where I can really delve into that. Um, uh, there's a few things running around. Uh, uh, as, you know, as we just talked about, Jesus says that um, they'll neither marry nor be given in marriage in, in heaven, but will be like the angels, whatever that means. Um, but it does seem to, to indicate that um, we won't be individually married to each other. Uh, and so... That means that now as a single woman, my relationship with you, uh, with other Christian men and women, uh, is a foreshadow of what all of our relationships will be like for eternity. As I relate to you as my brother in Christ, the person I'm united to in Christ, that's a little glimpse, a little a little foreshadowing of the perfected nature of what those relationships will look like for eternity. And I find that really exciting because it gives me as a single Christian woman um a purpose in modeling my singleness to you as a, as a married man. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I find, I find that really exciting. I think the, uh, another thing that, uh, I find really compelling is that we have been adopted into God's family, um, through spiritual rebirth rather than physical birth. We're not born into, um, into God's family in Christ. We're adopted in, in him, uh, and so spiritual parenting is also something that is really exciting for me as a single woman uh, who has no children of my own. But uh, as I look at what it means to disciple others uh, with eternity on view, it gives me a, a, a real um, a joy to know that I can actually be involved in, in parenting, not even necessarily younger um, brothers and sisters in Christ as I see them grow to maturity as well. We'll come back to Danny in just a moment to hear more about what it means to live as a single person in the light of eternity. But I just want to tell you about our book special for this month. We put this on with our friends at Matthias Media, a book that relates to the theme of this episode of the podcast. And the special this month is Mikey Lynch's new book, The Good Life in the Last Days. Uh, Mikey came onto our podcast way back at the beginning, I think it was episode five or six, uh, to talk about the ideas that have now come to fruition in this book. And it's really about the tension that we experience as Christians in living a life now that is both a life of thanksgiving and enjoyment of the good world that God has given us. And there's so much in our world that is good and to be enjoyed uh, and to be free to do that. But at the same time, the life we live is one of sacrifice. It's one of dying to self. It's one of not falling in love with this world and the things of this world. How do you hold those two things together as a Christian? That's what Mikey digs into in this book, The Good Life in the Last Days. Uh, You'll find it over at matthiasmedia.com.au slash ccl. um, And uh, there'll be some sort of special offer there to help you get hold of this book. It's called The Good Life in the Last Days by Mikey Lynch. And I'd encourage you to grab it. It's a very stimulating and helpful read. But back to Danny Treweek and to the challenge of living as a single person in a Christian community. And Danny has just been laying out some of the positive ways we can begin to think about singleness in the light of eternity. I asked her how these positive biblical ideas contrast with some more worldly ideas that we often tend to be infected with on this subject. 
Yeah, I think in in recent months I've been particularly uh, convicted of some of the areas in which our thinking as Christians is not very different to the thinking of the world. Um, a couple of areas in particular, one of them being uh, our understanding of the, the priority and the place of romantic love, which the Bible uh, demonstrates is, is a wonderful thing, but the world presents it as the goal of of life, the way that we reach personal fulfillment and happiness. Uh, and I don't think the Bible does that, but we haven't been as Christians particularly discerning as we've, we've taken on a lot of this world's view. Uh, and so I think there is some work for us to do about the place and the purpose of, of romantic love um, for us as humans, the place of it in marriage. I think we put an enormous stress and pressure on married Christians when we sort of base marriage primarily around these feelings of romantic love. I think another area is friendship. I am concerned that we are subsuming friendship more and more into marriage um, and they're becoming almost synonymous. The ideal of friendship is now found in marriage. So when you see um, uh, Facebook posts of people celebrating their anniversaries, and I love that, please keep doing that, people. Um, but just take note of the number of people who talk about being married to their very best friend. Um, that's not just a throwaway line. That's actually saying that we, we think the ideal of friendship is now to be found in the husband or the wife. That's enormous pressure to put on one person, that this person be everything to you. Um, and it also means that single people are left thinking, well, I, I can never enjoy the, the ideal of friendship. Um, and you know, my, my, my good friend just got married, but I'm no longer her good friend because now she has a husband. It would uh, almost be a betrayal for her to say that you were her best friend. Well, that's right. And I mean, the language of best friend, I yeah. try to avoid it because it puts me back in primary school, you know. Yeah, um, but um, but we have friends who are very dear to us and we have different enriched friendships in all different areas of life. And I'm concerned at the way that uh, we Christians are tending to locate um, that that best that friendship has to offer. Um, and the highest form of human intimacy that's ever available um, solely in the marriage relationship. Uh, and I think, again, that is not just difficult and problematic for single people, but for married people. You can place unrealistic too. expectations on married life. Yeah, that's right. It's interesting, too, that in a sense, those worldly ideas you're talking about are responses to our world's hunger for meaning. Mm. Um, having abandoned the idea that God gives our lives meaning, that God creates us and our meaning comes as creatures, as people related to him and mm -hmm. to each, each other in him, then other things rush in to fill that and we, we clasp onto things to say, this is what my life's about. My life's about having a family and being married. That's the ultimate purpose of me. Mm. Or or finding that soulmate who, who I'm madly in love with and stay madly in love with forever, mm. that that's my purpose and that's the dream. Uh, and you're right, we get colonised by those ideas. Mm. We we imbibe them without critiquing them. Mm. And there's another couple of PhDs for you to do, Daniel. Great, no problem. <laughs> do, on the nature of romantic love and how to think theologically about that yeah. and friendship. Yeah, that's right. Easy. Might leave those for someone else. But, um, but that's certainly why my research is wanting to fix our eyes on eternity um, rather than here on earth. Um, I want, want to think about how we can really live life here in light of the life that's to come whether we're married or single. I guess one of the reasons then you would say that singleness can be hard and that marriage can be hard is that although both states of life we would want to live in the light of eternity and in the light of who we are becoming and who we who we are in Christ, 
that's not where we are now. We're we're on our way. We're on the journey. We're living in that tension of mm. still being here, yeah, and still being in the created in this creation as we wait for the new creation. Mm. Uh, as you've been through the research, how has that helped you to reflect on on the hard things about singleness for you personally? I mean, how has it been as a personal experience, thinking and reading so much about this and reflecting on what you find difficult about singleness? Uh, God has been very kind to me. Uh, Having never been married, there have been seasons of my my life personally where it's been harder to be single um, and seasons where contentment has never been easy but has been um, more attainable uh, to varying degrees. Um, I'm speaking very personally. I'm very thankful for God that most of my last three years as I spent, you know, day in, day out thinking about singleness has not sort of thrown me into the pit of despair as a single person myself. There's been moments, um, but uh, he's sustained me in that, which is, which is good uh, and I'm thankful for. Um, I think single Christians, it's really hard to live in, in that now but not yet um, as those who have already been raised with Christ, who are already seated uh, in the heavenly realms with him uh, and yet are here on earth um, grieving what we don't have. Uh, and I, th- I think it's important to validate that grief, to recognize that um, not having been given a particular gift from God uh, is a hard thing and that people will feel that differently. And it's even harder, I suspect, in some ways for people who have had it and for whom um, it has no longer uh, their reality, uh, whether that's through divorce um, or death. Uh, and so I think... Uh, I've been able to personally grapple with that grief um, in a productive way. Um, It doesn't mean it's gone, um, but I I think it's important for us to validate that that's a real thing in the same way that we uh, talk about the real grief of infertility, for example. Or the grief of family breakdown or the grief of marriage not turning out the way you thought it did or the grief of a child who you don't get on with and the relationship breaks down. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and the life is full of trouble. Yeah. And I think just... um, a bit of a tangent from that, one of the things I've been reflecting on recently is I'm not sure that we honour uh, the single Christians, both men and women out there, who have committed themselves to living a life of godly obedience um, and gospel service in the midst of that grief um, because very many of them could go out and get themselves married pretty easily if they decided they were just going to chuck it all in or go and marry a non-Christian or, you know, whatever that might be. I can't remember the last time I heard a pastor honour the single people in their midst for prioritising their relationship with Christ over their desired relationship um, with someone else. So I think think that's something that we could do a bit of thinking about um, and encouraging uh, those who, even if it hasn't been a conscious decision, um, even if they haven't sort of said, well, I'm not going to pursue that person because they're not a Christian, but who have just, you know, ruled out the possibility of a relationship with someone else um, almost instinctively. It kind of brings us to thinking about the church and about the community of Christ and how we care for one another and minister to each other in that way. What's your research so far indicated or what sort of ideas is it brought to the surface about how church communities could do better in this area? Mm. You've just mentioned one. Mm. Uh, I think one of the key ways is actually being committed to our church congregations as family in more than just um, words. Uh, So we talk about 
uh, our churches being our family. But I suspect what we most often mean by that is our individual families come together to make one big family. Now, there's a truth in that because churches are often usually made up of lots of individual families. uh, But when we think of uh, church as a bit of a club for families, single people don't know where they belong. Um, And again, don't feel that authentic sense of belonging into the family that they are as much a part of as their married counterparts. Uh, So I I would like to see us be more committed to understanding what does it mean for this group of people that I meet with on a Sunday or my Bible study group or whatever that community is in their different sort of uh, aspects. What does it mean for them to be my primary family who I will be spending eternity with? And what then does that mean for my earthly family? So I think I think that's one key way. That will then inform, I suspect, a whole lot of the things we do and the things we say at churches. I'm not sure that, that married people and particularly parents appreciate the, uh, the way that even sermon illustrations tend to be very heavily based in family life. Um, little things like uh, if you're at a church that has a kid's spot, before the kids go out to their to their Sunday school or something, very often you'll hear people from the front say, kids, turn around and say goodbye to the mums and dads. Not everyone sitting there is a mum and dad. Um, I'm very thankful the church I'm at, uh, we talk about say goodbye to the adults. Um, so there's just really little things that most people wouldn't even pick up on, but are quite that can be quite hurtful for single people who feel like they're just maybe listening in on the real deal, which is, is for parents and um, husbands and wives. And you're talking about, you said before, potentially a third of the congregation. That's right. Potentially a third of the congregation is sitting there. And uh, there will be all sorts of different circumstances that are going on for those different people. I have always imagined it must be very difficult for those who are separated and divorced. And then you've also got single parents, which again is a completely, you know, it's another whole kettle of fish. Um, And I imagine that there is a lot of grief that comes in there about not fitting the mould of the two-parent family um, for those men and women who are seeking to to disciple and love their children as a solo parent with um, all the difficulty and complexity that that brings. So I also think it would be so wonderful to have more models of single people in ministry, in leadership. I'm not sure how that happens uh, because it's certainly not our situation at the moment, but particularly amongst men. There's a lot more single Christian women in ministry leadership out there than there are single Christian men. And I I do wonder how hard it will be to turn the ship without having those people modelling for us um, in leadership positions. Um, But God is sovereign and nothing is impossible with him. So, yeah. Danny, I feel like you've opened up, and no doubt your PhD research feels this way too, you've opened up a whole bunch of questions that need further thinking and thought, and you've certainly stimulated me to think further about these things. How can we pursue and think further about this subject? I know there's a conference coming up. I want you to tell us about the conference, but how can we pursue and think further about this question? Um, A couple of things. Talking to your single friends, um, and even if you don't have single friends, seeking out the single people in your church and developing relationships and just understanding them more, understanding their life, that's a way to think about it. to love them, not because they're single, but to love them as single people. Uh, I think that's a really significant way to be intentional in thinking through this in a very pastoral way. Some, there, are some, there are some good books out there. Uh, I can recommend a couple, uh, quite a, um, a, 
I don't want to say dense, but a good heavy read um, in terms of a theology of singleness is a book called Redeeming Singleness by um, a Canadian author called Barry Danielak. I don't agree with absolutely everything he's got in there, but gee, he's got some really good thinking about a biblical theology of singleness. Uh, Sam Albury, who I'll mention in just a minute, has a new book coming out in February next year called The Myths of Singleness. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on that one. And I've just finished an intriguing book, which I need to go back and reread, um, which is rather provocatively titled uh, Breaking the Marriage Idol. And uh, it's by a married uh, American theologian called Cutter Calloway. And my copy of it has just got big chunks of highlighted text now because I just found it fascinating um, for a married Christian to be critiquing uh, the way that we uh, evangelical Christians have really been thinking about marriage in recent decades. Um, so there's some good reads for you. But yes, the Single Minded Conference is coming up. Um, uh, I'm chairing that conference. It's on the 22nd of September, the Saturday, the 22nd of September, and we've got an evening conference as well on Friday, the 21st, which we had to put on because the Saturday one sold out uh, within a month. I was quite astounded by that. I thought we'd have a reasonably niche conference. Um, but the response has been quite overwhelming. We're also live streaming this Saturday. So um, if you're free on Saturday the 22nd and you'd like to tune in, you can still register for the live stream of that. And we have Sam Albury, who's a UK speaker, um, coming out and presenting uh, a couple of talks at that. We've got a bunch of electives um, and we've got a range of interviews with um, a, a lot of single people of different ages and stages and situations. And where can we find information on that? Uh, www.singlemindedconference.com. Right. We'll put that link and the link to the books that you mentioned uh, in our show notes as well. Uh, thanks, Danny, for talking with us today. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being with us today on the Centre for Christian Living podcast. And I know there's lots of you. I've recently been looking at the stats and been quite startled at just how many people have been listening to these podcasts. It's wonderful to have you aboard. Keep spreading the word to your friends. And thanks for the growing number of you who've done that by leaving reviews and ratings and that kind of stuff uh, at iTunes. That's been really encouraging as well. If you do have any questions or you want to get in touch and make a comment, or if you have an issue that's in your life that's part of the Christian life that you'd really like us to address, uh, then please let us know. We'd love to help out. Just send us an email at the Centre for Christian Living. That's ccl at more.edu.au. Thanks to More College who make this podcast possible. Uh, thanks too to Karen Bielharts who also makes this podcast possible by all her support. Uh, thanks to Sly Nomad for the music that we use in each episode. And you might like to check out a new EP that they've just released uh, on Spotify and iTunes and everywhere else. That's Slow Nomad. Thanks for being with us today. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. <laughs>